Section fifty nine of Tom Jones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. Tom Jones by Henry Fielding. Book seventeen containing three days. Chapter one containing a portion of introductory writing. When a comic writer hath made his principal characters as happy as he can, or when a tragic writer hath brought them to the highest pitch of human misery, they both conclude their business to be done, and that their work is come to a period. Had we been of the tragic complexion, the reader must now allow we were very nearly arrived at this period, since it would be difficult for the devil, or any of his representatives on earth, to have contrived much greater torments for poor Jones than those in which we left him in the last chapter, and as for Sophia, a good-natured woman would hardly wish more uneasiness to a rival than what she must at present be supposed to feel. What then remains to complete the tragedy but a murder or two, and a few moral sentences? but to bring our favourites out of their present anguish and distress and to land them at last on the shore of happiness seems a much harder task a task indeed so hard that we do not undertake to execute it in regard to sophia it is more than probable that we shall somewhere or other provide a good husband for her in the end either bliffle or my lord or somebody else but as to poor Jones, such are the calamities in which he is at present involved, owing to his imprudence, by which if a man doth not become felon to the world, he is at least a fellow de se. So destitute is he now of friends, and so persecuted by enemies, that we almost despair of bringing him to any good. And if our reader delights in seeing executions, I think he ought not to lose any time in taking a first row at Tyburn this i faithfully promise that notwithstanding any affection which we may be supposed to have for this rogue whom we have unfortunately made our hero we will lend him none of that supernatural assistance with which we are entrusted upon condition that we use it only on very important occasions if he doth not therefore find some natural means of fairly extricating himself from all his distresses we will do no violence to the truth and dignity of history for his sake for we had rather relate that he was hanged at Tyburn, which may very probably be the case, than forfeit our integrity, or shock the faith of our reader. In this the ancients had a great advantage over the moderns. Their mythology, which was at that time more firmly believed by the vulgar than any religion is at present, gave them always an opportunity of delivering a favourite hero. Their deities were always ready at the writer's elbow to execute any of his purposes, and the more extraordinary the invention was, the greater was the surprise and delight of the credulous reader. Those writers could with greater ease have conveyed a hero from one country to another, nay, from one world to another, and have brought him back again, than a poor circumscribed modern can deliver him from a jail. The Arabians and Persians had an equal advantage in writing their tales from the genii and fairies, which they believe in as an article of their faith upon the authority of the Koran itself but we have none of these helps. To natural means alone we are confined. Let us try, therefore, what, by these means, may be done for poor Jones. Though, to confess the truth, something whispers me in the ear that he doth not yet know the worst of his fortune, and that a more shocking piece of news than any he hath yet heard remains for him in the unopened leaves of fate. CHAPTER Two, THE GENEROUS AND GRATEFUL BEHAVIOUR OF MRS. MILLER Mr. Allworthy and Mrs. Miller were just sat down to breakfast when Bliffle, who had gone out very early that morning, returned to make one of the company. He had not been long seated before he began as follows. 
good lord my dear uncle what do you think hath happened i vow i am afraid of telling it to you for fear of shocking you with the remembrance of ever having shown any kindness to such a villain what is the matter child said the uncle i fear i have shown kindness in my life to the unworthy more than once but charity doth not adopt the vices of its objects oh sir returned blifil it is not without the secret direction of providence that you mention the word adoption your adopted son sir that jones that wretch whom you nourished in your bosom hath proved one of the greatest villains upon earth by all that's sacred it is false cries mrs miller mr jones is no villain he's one of the worthiest creatures breathing and if any other person had called him a villain i would have thrown all this boiling water in his face mr allworthy looked very much amazed at this behaviour but she did not give him leave to speak before turning to him she cried i hope you will not be angry with me i would not offend you sir for the world but indeed i could not bear to hear him called so i must own madam said allworthy very gravely i am a little surprised to hear you so warmly defend a fellow you do not know oh i do know him mr allworthy said she indeed i do i should be the most ungrateful of all wretches if i denied it oh he hath preserved me and my little family we have all reason to bless him while we live and i pray heaven to bless him and turn the hearts of his malicious enemies i know i find i see he hath such you surprise me madam still more said allworthy sure you must mean some other it is impossible you should have any such obligations to the man my nephew mentions too surely answered she i have obligations to him of the greatest and tenderest kind he hath been the preserver of me and mine believe me sir he hath been abused grossly abused to you i know he hath or you whom i know to be all goodness and honour would not after the many kind and tender things i have heard you say of this poor helpless child have so disdainfully called him fellow indeed my best of friends he deserves a kinder appellation from you had you heard the good the kind the grateful things which i have heard him utter of you he never mentions your name but with a sort of adoration in this very room i have seen him on his knees imploring all the blessings of heaven upon your head i do not love that child there better than he loves you i see sir now said blifil with one of those grinning sneers with which the devil marks his best beloved mrs miller really doth know him i suppose you will find she is not the only one of your acquaintance to whom he hath exposed you as for my character i perceive by some hints she hath thrown out he hath been very free with it but i forgive him and the lord forgive you sir said mrs miller we have all sins enough to stand in need of his forgiveness upon my word mrs miller said allworthy i do not take this behaviour of yours to my nephew kindly and i do assure you as any reflections which you cast upon him must come only from that wickedest of men they would only serve if that were possible to heighten my resentment against him for i must tell you mrs miller the young man who now stands before you hath ever been the warmest advocate for the ungrateful wretch whose cause you espouse this i think when you hear it from my own mouth will make you wonder at so much baseness and ingratitude you are deceived sir answered mrs miller if they were the last words which were to issue from my lips i would say you were deceived and i once more repeat it the lord forgive those who have deceived you i do not pretend to say the young man is without faults but they are all the faults of wildness and of youth 
faults which he may, nay, which I am certain he will, relinquish, and, if he should not, they are vastly overbalanced by one of the most humane, tender, honest hearts that ever man was blessed with. "'Indeed, Mrs. Miller,' said Allworthy, "'had this been related of you, I should not have believed it.' "'Indeed, sir,' answered she, "'you will believe everything I have said, I am sure you will, and when you have heard the story which I shall tell you, for I will tell you all, you will be so far from being offended that you will own, I know your justice so well, that I must have been the most despicable and most ungrateful of wretches if I had acted any other part than I have.' "'Well, madam,' said Allworthy, "'I shall be very glad to hear any good excuse for a behaviour which, I must confess, I think wants an excuse. And now, madam, will you be pleased to let my nephew proceed in his story without interruption? He would not have introduced a matter of slight consequence with such a preface. Perhaps even this story will cure you of your mistake.' Mrs. Miller gave tokens of submission, and then Mr. Bliffle began thus. I am sure, sir, if you don't think proper to resent the ill-usage of Mrs. Miller, I shall easily forgive what affects me only. I think your goodness hath not deserved this indignity at her hands. Well, child, said Allworthy, but what is this new instance? What hath he done of late? What, cries Bliffle, notwithstanding all Mrs. Miller hath said, I am very sorry to relate, and what you should never have heard from me, had it not been a matter impossible to conceal from the whole world. In short, he hath killed a man. I will not say murdered, for perhaps it may not be so construed in law, and I hope the best for his sake. Allworthy looked shocked and blessed himself, and then, turning to Mrs. Miller, he cried, Well, madam, what say you now? Why, I say, sir, answered she, that I never was more concerned at anything in my life, but, if the fact be true, I am convinced the man, whoever he is, was in fault. Heaven knows there are many villains in this town who make it their business to provoke young gentlemen. Nothing but the greatest provocation could have tempted him, for of all the gentlemen I ever had in my house I never saw one so gentle and so sweet-tempered. He was beloved by every one in the house, and every one who came near it. While she was thus running on, a violent knocking at the door interrupted their conversation, and prevented her from proceeding further, or from receiving any answer for, as she concluded this was a visitor to Mr. Allworthy, she hastily retired, taking with her her little girl, whose eyes were all over blubbered at the melancholy news she heard of Jones, who used to call her his little wife, and not only gave her many playthings, but spent whole hours in playing with her himself. Some readers may perhaps be pleased with these minute circumstances, in relating of which we follow the example of Plutarch, one of the best of our brother historians, and others, to whom they may appear trivial, will, we hope, at least pardon them, as we are never prolix on such occasions. Chapter 3. The Arrival of Mr. Weston, with some matters concerning the paternal authority. Mrs. Miller had not long left the room when Mr. Weston entered, but not before a small wrangling bout had passed between him and his chairman, for the fellows, who had taken up their burden at the Hercules Pillars, had conceived no hopes of having any future good customer in the squire, and they were moreover farther encouraged by his generosity, for he had given them of his own accord sixpence more than their fare. They therefore very boldly demanded another shilling, which so provoked the squire that he not only bestowed many hearty curses on them at the door, but retained his temper after he came into the room, swearing that all the Londoners were like the court, and thought of nothing but plundering country gentlemen. "'Damn me,' says he, "'if I won't walk in the rain rather than get into one of their hand-barrows again.' 
They've jolted me more in a mile than brown bess would in a long fox chase. When his wrath on this occasion was a little appeased, he resumed the same passionate tone on another. There, says he, there's fine business forwards now. The hounds have changed at last, and when we imagined we had a fox to deal with, odd rat it, it turns out to be a badger at last. Pray, my good neighbour, said Allworthy, drop your metaphors and speak a little plainer. Why then, says the squire, to tell you plainly, we've been all this time afraid of a son of a whore of a bastard of somebody's. I don't know whose, not I, and now here's a confounded son of a whore of a lord, who may be a bastard too for what I know or care, for he shall never have a daughter of mine by my consent. They have beggared the nation, but they shall never beggar me. My land shall never be sent over to Hanover. You surprise me much, my good friend, said Allworthy. Why, zounds, I'm surprised myself, answered the squire. I went to see Sister Weston last night, according to her own appointment, and there I was had into a whole room full of women. There was my lady cousin Belliston, and my lady Betty, and my lady Catherine, and my lady I don't know who. Damn me, if ever you catch me among such a kennel of hoop-petticoat bitches. Damn me, I'd rather be run by my own dogs, as one Acton was, that the story-book says was turned into a hare, and his own dogs killed him and ate him. Odd rabbit it, no mortal was ever run in such a manner. If I dodged one way, one had me. If I offered to clap back, another snapped me. Oh, certainly one of the greatest matches in England, says one cousin. Here he attempted to mimic them. A very advantageous offer indeed, cries another cousin. For you must know they be all my cousins, though I never seed half of them before. Surely, says that fat-ass bitch, my lady Bellison, cousin, you must be out of your wits to think of refusing such an offer. Now I begin to understand, says Allworthy. Some person hath made proposals to Miss Weston, which the ladies of the family approve, but is not to your liking. My liking, said Weston. How the devil should it? I tell you it is a lord, and those are always folks whom you know I always resolve to have nothing to do with. Didn't I refuse a matter of forty years' purchase now for a bit of land, which one of em had a mind to put into a park, only because I would have no dealings with lords, and thus think I would marry my daughter who? Besides, bent I engaged to you, and did I ever go off any bargain when I had promised? As to that point, neighbour, said Allworthy, I entirely release you from any engagement. No contract can be binding between parties who have not a full power to make it at the time, nor ever afterwards acquire the power of fulfilling it. Slut, then, answered Weston. I tell you, I have power, and I will fulfil it. Come along with me directly to Doctor's Commons. I will get a license, and I will go to Sister and take away the wrench by force, and she shall hell, or I will lock her up and keep her upon bread and water as long as she lives. Mr. Weston, said Allworthy, shall I beg you will hear my full sentiments on this matter? Hear thee? Aye, to be sure I will, answered he. Why then, sir, cries Allworthy, I can truly say, without a compliment either to you or the young lady, that when this match was proposed, I embraced it very readily and heartily, for my regard to you both. An alliance between two families so nearly neighbours, and between whom there had always existed so mutual an intercourse in good harmony, I thought a most desirable event, and with regard to the young lady, not only the concurrent opinion of all who knew her, but my own observation assured me that she would be an inestimable treasure to a good husband. I shall say nothing of her personal qualifications, which certainly are admirable. Her good nature, her charitable disposition, her modesty, are too well known to need any panegyric. But she had one quality which existed in a high degree, in that best of women, who is now one of the first of angels, which, as it is not of a glaring kind, more commonly escapes observation. So little indeed is it remarked that I want a word to express it. I must use negatives on this occasion. 
I never heard anything of pertness, or what is called repartee, out of her mouth. No pretense to wit, much less to that kind of wisdom which is the result only of great learning and experience, the affectation of which, in a young woman, is as absurd as any of the affectations of an ape. No dictatorial sentiments, no judicial opinions, no profound criticisms. Whenever I have seen her in the company of men, she hath been all attention, with the modesty of a learner, not the forwardness of a teacher. You'll pardon me for it, but I once, to try her only, desired her opinion on a point which was controverted between Mr. Thwackum and Mrs. Square, to which she answered with much sweetness, You'll pardon me, good Mr. Allworthy, I am sure you cannot in earnest think me capable of deciding any point in which two such gentlemen disagree. Thwackum and Square, who both alike thought themselves sure of a favourable decision, seconded my request. She answered with the same good humour, I must absolutely be excused, for I will front neither so much as to give my judgment on his side. Indeed, she always showed the highest deference to the understandings of men, a quality absolutely essential to the making a good wife. I shall only add that as she is most apparently void of all affectation, this deference must be certainly real. Here Blifil sighed bitterly, upon which Weston, whose eyes were full of tears at the praise of Sophia, blubbered out, "'Don't be chicken-hearted, for should her, damn me, should her, if she was twenty times as good.' "'Remember your promise, sir,' cried Orthy. "'I was not to be interrupted.' "'Well, shut it, answered the squire. "'I won't speak another word.' "'Now, my good friend,' continued Orthy, "'I have dwelt so long on the merit of this young lady, partly as I really am in love with her character, partly that fortune, for the match in that light is really advantageous on my nephew's side, might not be imagined to be my principal view in having so eagerly embraced the proposal. Indeed, I heartily wished to receive so great a jewel into my family. But, though I may wish for many good things, I would not therefore steal them, or be guilty of any violence or injustice to possess myself of them. Now, to force a woman into a marriage contrary to her consent or approbation is an act of such injustice and oppression that I wish the laws of our country could restrain it but a good conscience is never lawless in the worst regulated state, and will provide those laws for itself, which the neglect of legislators hath forgotten to supply. This is surely a case of that kind, for is it not cruel, nay, impious, to force a woman into that state against her will, for her behaviour, in which she is to be accountable to the highest and most dreadful court of judicature, and to answer at the peril of her soul? To discharge the matrimonial duties in an adequate manner is no easy task, and shall we lay this burden upon a woman, while we at the same time deprive her of all that assistance which may enable her to undergo it? Shall we tear her very heart from her, while we enjoin her duties to which a whole heart is scarce equal? I must speak very plainly here. I think parents who act in this manner are accessories to all the guilt which their children afterwards incur, and of course must, before a just judge expect to partake of their punishment but if they could avoid this good heaven is there a soul who can bear the thought of having contributed to the damnation of his child for these reasons my best neighbour as i see the inclinations of this young lady are most unhappily averse to my nephew i must decline any further thoughts of the honour you intended him though i assure you i shall always retain the most grateful sense of it well sir said weston the froth bursting forth from his lips the moment they were uncorked. "'You cannot say but I've heard you out, and now I expect you'll hear me. And if I don't answer every word on it, why then I'll consent to keep the manner up. First, then, I desire you to answer me one question. 
Did not I beget her? Did not I beget her? Answer me that. They say, indeed, it is a wise father that knows his own child, but I am sure I have the best title to her, for I bred her up. But I believe you will allow me to be your father, and if I be, am I not to govern my own child? I ask you that. Am I not to govern my own child? And if I am to govern her in other matters, surely I am to govern her in this, which concerns her most. And what am I desiring all this while? Am I desiring her to do anything for me? To give me anything? So much on the other side, that I am only desiring her to take away half my estate now, and the other half when I die. Well, what is it all for? Why, isn't it to make her happy? It's enough to make one mad to hear folks talk, and if I was going to marry myself, then she would have reason to cry and to blubber, but on the contrary, had I offered to bind down my land in such a manner that I could not marry if I would, seeing as narrow woman upon earth would have me. What the devil in hell can I do more? I contribute to her damnation? Zounds, I'd see all the world damned before a little finger should be heard. Indeed, Mr. Allworthy, you must excuse me, but I'm surprised to hear you talk in such a manner, and I must say, take it how you will, that I thought you had more sense. Allworthy resented this reflection only with a smile, nor could he, if he would have endeavoured it, have conveyed into that smile any mixture of malice or contempt. His smiles at folly were indeed such as we may suppose the angels bestow on the absurdities of mankind. Bliffle now desired to be permitted to speak a few words. "'As to using any violence on the young lady, I am sure I shall never consent to it. My conscience will not permit me to use violence on any one, much less on a lady for whom, however cruel she is to me, I shall always preserve the purest and sincerest affection. But yet I have read that women are seldom proof against perseverance. Why may I not hope, then, by such perseverance, at last, to gain those inclinations in which for the future I shall, perhaps, have no rival?' for as for this lord mr weston is so kind to prefer me to him and sure sir you will not deny but that a parent hath at least a negative voice in these matters nay i have heard this very young lady herself say so more than once and declare that she thought children inexcusable who married in direct opposition to the will of their parents besides though the other ladies of the family seem to favour the pretensions of my lord i do not find the lady herself is inclined to give him any countenance alas I am too well assured she is not. I am too sensible that wickedest of men remains uppermost in her heart. Aye, aye, so he does, cries Weston. But surely, says Bliffle, when she hears of this murder which he hath committed, if the law should spare his life— What's that? cries Weston. Murder? Hath he committed a murder? And is there any hopes of seeing him hanged? Toll the roll, toll all the roll. Here he fell a-singing and capering about the room. "'Child,' says Allworthy, "'this unhappy passion of yours distresses me beyond measure. I heartily pity you, and would do every fair thing to promote your success.' "'I desire no more,' cries Bliffle. "'I am convinced my dear uncle had a better opinion of me than to think that I myself would accept of more.' "'Looky,' says Allworthy, "'you have my leave to write, to visit, if she will permit it, but I insist on no thoughts of violence. I will have no confinement.' nothing of that kind attempted well well cries the squire nothing of that kind shall be attempted we will try a little longer what fair means will effect and if this fellow be but hanged out of the way toll all the roll i never heard better news in my life i warrant everything goes to my mind do prithee dear worthy come and dine with me at the hercules pillars i have bespoke a shoulder of mutton roasted and a spare rib of pork and a fowl and egg sauce 
there'll be nobody but ourselves unless we have a mind to have the landlord for i sent parson supple down to basingstoke after my tobacco-box which i left at an inn there and i would not lose it for the world for it is an old acquaintance of above twenty years standing i can tell you the landlord is a vast comical bitch you will like and hugely mr allworthy at last agreed to this invitation and soon after the squire went off singing and capering at the hopes of seeing the speedy tragical end of poor jones when he was gone mr allworthy resumed the aforesaid subject with much gravity he told his nephew he wished with all his heart he would endeavour to conquer a passion in which i cannot says he flatter you with any hopes of succeeding it is certainly a vulgar error that aversion in a woman may be conquered by perseverance indifference may perhaps sometimes yield to it but the usual triumphs gained by perseverance in a lover are over caprice prudence affectation and often an exorbitant degree of levity which excites women not over warm in their constitutions to indulge their vanity by prolonging the time of courtship even when they are well enough pleased with the object and resolve if they ever resolve at all to make him a very pitiful amends in the end but a fixed dislike as i am afraid this is will rather gather strength than be conquered by time besides my dear i have another apprehension which you must excuse i am afraid this passion which you have for this fine young creature hath her beautiful person too much for its object and is unworthy of the name of that love which is the only foundation of matrimonial felicity to admire to like and to long for the possession of a beautiful woman without any regard to her sentiments towards us is i am afraid too natural but love i believe is a child of love only at least i am pretty confident that to love the creature who we are assured hates us is not in human nature examine your heart therefore thoroughly my good boy and if upon examination you have but the least suspicion of this kind i am sure your own virtue and religion will impel you to drive so vicious a passion from your heart and your good sense will soon enable you to do it without pain the reader may pretty well guess bliffle's answer but if he should be at a loss we are not at present at leisure to satisfy him as our history now hastens on to matters of higher importance and we can no longer bear to be absent from sophia End of section fifty nine